We are just now wrapping up a week of, of prayer and fasting, and we had a moment to celebrate and, and break that at Chick-fil-A this past Friday, so thank you if, if uh, you made it out for that. Um, but guys, there's a lot happening right now. God's doing a lot of great things. People are coming to faith. People are growing in their relationship with God. Campus ministry is about to be officially recognized on KSU's campus, uh, which we're really excited about. Our church is growing, and it's an exciting time. And so as we wrap up this week of, of praying and seeking God and fasting, if that's new to you or if that's strange to you, you can, certainly can ask me about it after service. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of it this morning, but understand we're asking God to do something great. And we're asking him to do it through you, through us together. And that, that gets me amped. So much so that I rewrote this entire message at about midnight last night. Ooh, yes. So if you're like, wow, that's kind of, Andy's looks incoherent this morning. Well, it was a little bit of a later night. And you know what? Sometimes you have these moments where your plans that you had get a little bit scrubbed because God has plans that, you know what, he's, he's breathing into existence or, or he's just pressing upon you. And, and I've got a message, and I'm going to explain it here in just a minute. But before we do, I want, I'm going to gift you with something this morning. The series is called We Can't Stay Here, meaning you literally need to get up and move sometimes, spiritually speaking, from where you are. We should be growing. With me? Yeah. Of course. But how many of you guys remember being in middle school? If you grew up in the 80s, like I did, middle school was a special time. I brought some pictures with me this morning. Yeah, I did. Oh, I, I did. I'm going to treat you this morning to a little something and you're going to appreciate the fact that we don't stay in the same place our entire life i'm going to start it off nice for you can you put that first picture up there this is me as a wee lad yeah that's right big chubby beautiful cheeks bow tie i mean come on i could rock that today and people would be like that guy's you know kind of got a little hipster vibe happening i like that plus the football that's real nice Next picture, please. This is Amy. She's, she's not here right now. She's serving with the kids. It's my wife. Has a real vicious look on her face. I'm thankful that she's moved from being so angry to being so peaceful and loving. Now let's, let's begin to move into my adolescent years, shall we? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> uh, that's a treat for you. Anybody remember the laser lights in the, in the school you book pictures? Come on now. The lasers were awesome. How about the tie with the short sleeve shirt? Even better are the two Hubble Space Telescopes welded together that we call a pair of glasses that I am wearing on my face. Those are enormous. I was looking good. But I get to looking even better. Keep it going. There it is. 
That's the one right there. That's the one. The turtleneck and the sweater with the perfectly coiffed hair. I mean, can it get better? This is just me getting started, by the way. Okay, you can, you can remove that actually from the screen now. That's not going to be there all morning. I want you to know that I am thankful that I'm not sporting turtlenecks and sweaters anymore. I know you're not. You're, he would, Mike in the front row would love to see me sport that still. It's not going to happen. I've moved on. Now, there were a lot of things that got me in trouble in middle school, specifically fashion faux pas. But we are thankful, aren't we? How many of you have pictures that you look back on and you're like, I cannot believe that I wore that? Of course you did. I can't believe my hair looked like that. I cannot believe, fill in the blank. Yes, no. Some of you might be too young to have those moments. But I'm going to tell you something. You will. You will look back and say to yourself, what was I thinking? Or in my case, mom, what were you thinking? Why did you allow me to have a pair of glasses that was the size of the county that I lived in? Why? Why did you do that? The reality is you move on. You grow. You become wiser. You understand that there are some things that just look a little dopey. But take the jump with me now and let's talk about spiritual things. Because there are things that we should grow through and grow out of. As we just become more mature in Christ that you just don't do anymore. That you look at and you say to yourself, oh man, can you believe I used to do that? Can you believe I used to live that way? Can you believe I used to talk like that, think like that, treat people that way? We shouldn't stay in the same place, spiritually speaking, our entire life. And if you do, you suffer from something I like to call immaturity. And I have tragic news for you. There are scores and scores and scores and scores of people who call themselves Christians. And you know what? They are. They are followers of Jesus, but they are followers of Jesus that actually aren't following super well. And they're staying in the same place, struggling with the same things, doing the same things day in, day out, and not growing. With me? Seen that before? You might be sitting here this morning and saying to yourself, that's actually me. Or you've got that person that just came right to mind. Some of you, I can see the light wolves going off in your head right now as you're thinking of that friend or that family member. Well, today I'm going to help you out because we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk about you. So this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 11. I want you to understand why I wrestled with this message. Because the thing that we need to leave behind today, if we can't stay here, then we're leaving something behind. We need to leave behind immaturity. We need to grow into the fullness of who Jesus has called us to be. 
If you are sitting in a chair this morning, if you are serving in the back this morning, whether you're HP kids, serving with breakdown after service, God desires that you would grow and that you would leave behind immaturity and walk in maturity. But understand that there isn't a moment, church, where you just arrive and suddenly you've gotten everything that there is to get. There is always something to leave behind in order to lay hold of more of Jesus. But oftentimes in the church, we just get settled into being who we are. We've just arrived and we stop growing. And then we look at growth simply as knowing more Bible information rather than actually experiencing transformation. And we stop growing. My concern in preaching this message today was that everyone would hear it and that you would hear a message like you've heard a thousand times on a list of sins that you need to let go of And that you'd walk away hearing nothing but behavior management. And I want you to know something. The gospel, it will impact your behavior. But it is far more than behavior management. And many of you have grown up like I did, where you simply defined having a great relationship with Jesus by a list of things that you did not do. And as long as you did not do those things, you then had a great relationship with Jesus. But understand and follow me here. What other relationship have you ever experienced that is simply defined by things that you don't do? There isn't one. If I looked at Amy and said, honey, we have got a great relationship because I don't do this, 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 and this. She would look at me like I lost my mind. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul says this. He's talking about growing in love. And he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Today's message is not difficult. Let me rephrase that. Today's message is very simple, but quite difficult. It's simple to understand and very difficult to actually walk out. And there are reasons why. And Paul alludes to some of them right here. He's talking about the differences between a child and an adult. Meaning there are things that a child does, ways that a child speaks, ways that a child thinks that are different than the way an adult should think. Or, in our case, someone who's mature. What are some things that a child does? They're immature. Cry. What's that? Temper tantrums. Yes. What else? Oh, wine. If you come over to my house, you will hear it. And I have to address it like a loving father. Whining. Crying. Now, Some crying is good, but the crying over things that shouldn't cause you to cry, being overly dramatic. Hmm? Amen. Yes. Oh, we're not going to watch that show right now. (gasps) What? Oh, 
There are other things, and the list can get really nice, long, and hairy. But if you're not careful, you'll do the exact same things. And yet we call ourselves mature believers, and yet we whine, we grumble, we complain, and we cry when we don't get our way. Ouch. There are things that Paul is describing that we should leave behind and walk into the fullness and maturity that Jesus has for us. With me. So here's what we're going to do. Rather than me speaking specifically about actions that you need to repent of, going to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and busting out all the list of sins that if you just don't do those, you're now mature. I want to I get a little bit deeper this morning. But that means it's going to get a little bit more difficult this morning because it's really easy to just focus on behavior. When we start talking about the heart, we start talking about things that you think and actually believe, that's where things get a little bit more tricky. But if we can have God's mind the way he thinks about things, I can promise you, it'll change the way you live. Your big idea is this, right thinking leads to right living. It's not crazy. It's simple, but really difficult. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 4, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. (laughs) They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I have good news and bad news. The bad news is we live in a culture that has perpetuated some pretty unbelievable myths. And those myths have even crept into the church. And if you're not careful, you will believe those things. Your mind will lay hold of those things. You will put your faith in those things. And they will impact the actual manner and ways in which you live. And the way that you live will look Immature. Ready? We're going to address some stinking thinking this morning. Did you like that? Nobody did, apparently. (laughs) Brandon did, thank you. This is going to feel like a punch in the nose this morning. Sometimes the gospel feels that way. I'm going to bring it with love and I'm going to bring it with grace, but I'm not going to dodge the reality of the truth this morning that we need to hear. One of the biggest lies that we believe, even though you're going to sit here and you're going to hear, you're going to say to yourself, oh, I don't actually believe that. When we start to unpack it, you might find that you do. And that's this. God just desires. He just wants me to be happy. It is one of the greatest lies that you will believe. And because of our culture and because of of the great uh, TV shows populating uh, Christian preaching, which can be great, but there are a lot of things on there that are preaching nonsense to you. I want you to hear that this morning. There are a lot of things that are done in the name of Jesus that are absolute nonsense. 
And if you're not careful, you will be taught to believe that God's ultimate desire for you is that you would just be happy. Tell that to the five people that were just released from an Iranian prison yesterday and this past weekend. One of them being a pastor who was in prison for three years. Abused, beaten, tortured. And yet somehow in America, we have lynched, we've, we've linked our, our, our minds and our arms and our, and our attitudes around this thought that God desires for me to be happy. I have great news for you. God speaks to your holiness much more than he does to your happiness. His desire is that you would be set apart. His desire would be that you would be holy. But we actually don't see God speaking to you just having this nice little thing that we like to refer to as happiness. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. That doesn't mean God doesn't care for you. But what it does mean is that God's ultimate goal is not to just make you cushy and happy. That is a lie. But here's how it's trickled in. Some of you have heard of the prosperity gospel where if you just tithe a little bit or give this, then God, go home, open your mailbox. There's going to be a check waiting for you. I watched a video just this, just this past week and it brought me to tears of a pastor testifying at a court of law about how he was spending money. He bought a brand new $5,000 suit every single week. The reason he did it was because he sweat through the last one when he preached. Justified all of these people giving and sold them an unbelievable message on give, 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 give. And hear me, you should give. You should be generous. But oftentimes we can kind of whip people up into an emotional frenzy where if you just give and give a little bit more, well, God's going to bless you in that regard. It's a slippery slope because I'm sitting here and I'm going to tell you that I believe God blesses those who are generous and those who give. But the promise, it gets twisted and it gets manipulated and then we begin to give in order to get. And that is never how we see it laid out in Scripture. I don't give to get. I give because God is holy. And He deserves my worship, period. That's it. I give because He is true and right and loving and holy. And He deserves this kind of attitude from me. I yield everything to Him. Not just this one little area. And somehow now because I give, I should be riding a sweet new ride, rocking a fat new suit, rocking a brand new sweet kicking house. I want you to hear this. The gospel is full of people who suffer. I mean, cover to cover, we have people who have pledged their life to this amazing and glorious God that we serve. And their life was very difficult. Sometimes they experience anguish 
sometimes death. Yet they followed God faithfully because he was so true, he was so right, and even in the midst of difficulty, they could hold on to the fact that God was still good. I want you to hear that. Some of you are sitting here today, and this 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 idea of God just wants me to be happy, it's rooted in there and therefore you have resentment towards God because your life doesn't look the way you'd like it to look. You're not experiencing what you want to experience and you feel as if God owes it to you because after all, doesn't he want me to be happy? And I want you to hear this. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to have joy. But we don't see a whole lot of God trying to get into the affairs of your everyday life to make sure you just feel good when you get out of bed each morning. No, you choose to have joy when you get out of bed each morning. And you put your faith in Jesus afresh as the one true God of this world who died for your sins that you might be set apart and know him and have relationship with him, period. Here's how things get a little bit tricky, though, because people believe this and it filters down into their church and it filters down into their marriage. Because if God just wants you to be happy, well, guess what you should probably do when your marriage starts getting difficult? If God wants you to be happy, and that's all he is ultimately concerned with, well, then you should ditch that spouse when things get hard or when you're unhappy and find yourself a new one. Because after all, that will solve the happiness problem. That's what God would have for you. Rather than learning to cling to your spouse and cling to God when things are tough. And when you look at them and you don't feel like loving them. And you don't feel like being nice. That will happen, P.S., if you haven't experienced that in your marriage. There comes a moment where you are angry with that person. Or frustrated with that person. Or heaven forbid, maybe you're just not as attracted to them as you used to be. Well, your happiness is God's ultimate concern. So ditch that person and find a new one that makes you happy. No. Because here is the gospel. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5, 21. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, what did Jesus do? He died for you and for the church. And so what you get to do, rather than just living for your own happiness, you get to live in submission to one another and to God and die to yourself. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Gospel 101. But this happiness gospel doesn't just end there because it begins to trickle into your parenting as well, moms and dads. 
Because after all, if God's ultimate concern is making you happy, then as a parent, your ultimate concern should be making your children happy. And consequently, we have parents who just refuse to discipline their children. They refuse to bring pain and hardship to a little small life that frankly needs it. And we get our children anything their heart desires. They're spoiled. They have every wish and and desire granted to them. They talk back to their mothers and fathers. They have disrespect for elders, etc., etc., etc. And oftentimes we do nothing because heaven forbid their little spirit would cry and be hurt that mommy and daddy would bring a little bit of pain to their life. You with me this morning? I want you to understand something in our house. Well, before I do, let me just blow this ridiculous thing out of the water as well. Everyone should get an award. You participated. You participated. And so every, we can't have anyone feeling bad. We can't have anyone feeling like they're not measuring up. You know what's good? It's good for a child to see that hard work pays off. It's good for a child to see another team win and them lose and have to face a little bit of hardship. You know what? We didn't win. You know what? Good game, guys. You know what? You did better than us this time. Way to go. We're a culture and generation of sore losers. And because we don't want to create hardship, let's just eliminate it altogether. Because God wants us to be happy all the time. Our son Morgan, I love, I love my children. And Morgan has just, he's got just a wicked sense of humor right now. It's just phenomenal. But he doesn't like to eat the healthy food that we have placed on his plate at dinner time. And so Amy had gone to the store yesterday and we found a, a new little treat. He doesn't, he rarely gets treats because of all of his allergies. Well, there was one, it was a little ice cream, little bitty tub of ice cream that cost like $100 because it was all allergy-free, all these things. And we thought, you know what? He's going to love this because he never gets to have ice cream. And so dinner comes around and we lay out the rules. Here's how it's going down tonight. You clean your plate. You're going to eat all of this. And if you do, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a little scoop of this. And Caroline just started going to work because she wasn't going to miss out. Graham wasn't going to miss out. Beckett's not quite there yet. He's our youngest. But Morgan, he decided he was going to try to have some of this and not eat his food. And I want you to hear this because 
as a father that loves his son, it was not easy for us because he rarely gets to experience this. And I wanted to just look at him and say, do what you want, son. Go ahead. You'll be fine. But the reality is, we said this. And I'm going to stick to this. And although you are bellowing like a cow going to the slaughterhouse that you are not getting this ice cream, I'm telling you right now, son, you're not tasting this because of your choices. And we are not bending. And this feels hard and this feels mean. But I am teaching you a valuable lesson that it pays to obey. That my job as your father isn't to just bow to your wishes and make you happy. It's to teach you how to obey, how to live right, how to love God, how to put one foot in front of the other, how to work hard. We're not, we're not trying to just make happy people. I am trying to disciple my children into living set apart lives that are holy and committed to God. He did not get any ice cream at all. He was devastated and it pained my heart. The Bible says this, Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, that endure hardship is discipline. You need to hear that, church. You've got hard things in your life and you need to endure it and understand that some of those hard things are God's way of disciplining you. And that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It actually means the opposite. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. True story, but it feels painful. Nobody likes discipline. No one likes hardship. No one likes suffering. But these are parts of the gospel that if we pull out, you will never grow into the maturity that God has for you. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We have got to do the deep heart surgery of removing this that God desires. He desires to bless you. True. He desires great things in your life to work great things out for you on your behalf. But understand that all of that is met through relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of God's promises to you. I'm going to move on from here. I think you're, you're, you're with me. 
I think you're with me. You can see why I might have wrestled with this a little bit. Because I want you to hear that God loves you as a good father. But a good father knows when love has to look and feel tough. And you will not feel happy when that happens. And if you are putting your faith and you feel unhappy all the time, you're going to find yourself bitter. You're going to find yourself resent, resentful. You're going to find your faith damaged. You're going to find uh, that, that why isn't the word, why, isn't the, why aren't God's promises true for me? They are true for you. But God might also be disciplining you. I don't know why when we were on our mission trip this past year, why one person was healed and another was not. I don't know. I wish I had great answers for how God's promises worked all the time, but I don't. And that's part of being mature is saying, I don't have all of this figured out. There is great mystery in the gospel. I understand and see that Jesus is a healer. I see him moving powerfully, but I don't always know how that practically plays out. Here's your second lie. I'll bring it to a close. Because if we can begin to remove these from our mind and our heart, I can promise you, without me even having to address all of the different sins and things that we need to set aside and stop doing, if we will get these out of the way and stop believing them, you will find yourself running to Jesus and you'll stop tripping and you'll stop getting snared and you'll stop getting stuck. The gospel is about being a good person. Most of you would say that you don't believe that. And yet when we talk about what it actually means to follow Jesus, it's really easy to just kind of create a list of things that you do. And at the end of the day, it's about being good. That's what I got growing up. Just be a good person. But I want you to hear this. Because the gospel is about the only true good person who died for you because you are not a good person and have no hope of becoming a good person. Doesn't that feel really great this morning? Yes. But hear it. And hear it with love from your pastor this morning. You have no hope of becoming a good person. You are miserably and hopelessly lost without Jesus Christ. You can't somehow lift yourself up out of the ashes. You can't somehow make yourself holy. You can't somehow just do enough so that the cosmic scale of good versus bad is somehow outweighed. And if you've just got enough good in the tank, then at the end of days when you stand before Jesus, as if somehow he's going to just measure the two. And whichever side you end up on is, is how he decides whether you get to live with him in paradise. It doesn't work that way. 
That's not the gospel. And if you have bought into the lie that, that knowing Jesus is really just about being good, then understand you're not living the gospel. That's a little self-made man construct that we do to make ourselves feel better and not have to deal with a God that is holy who is calling you and I to die to ourselves that we might find life in him. Normally I preach a story and that's kind of my go-to. I love stories in scripture and I love unpacking them and I didn't have a story for you today. (laughs) I had one. I'm going to share a little bit of one at the very end here. Normally in a message like this, you'd start with a story and then begin to unpack it. And I'm actually going to do the opposite. We unpacked what it means to leave maturity. We've got to leave two ideas behind. And it is culturally specific to you as American Christians. God is not ultimately concerned in you being happy. He is concerned about you being holy. Fact. And God isn't interested in you being good. He's interested in you dying to yourself and putting your faith in Jesus, who is the one true good person, who redeems you and transforms you and makes you righteous in God's sight. Some of you have been trying to grow into maturity and you've done it in your own strength and you've done it just trying to change your behavior and the reality is it's less of a behavior issue and more of a relationship issue because you think something wrong here and it's producing wrong actions there I'll leave you with a story encounter with Jesus Luke 7, 1 through 2. It says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Do you see where I'm going here? See, these elders are are coming to Jesus and they're saying, look, my man, the centurion, he's a really good guy. You should do this for him. It would really make him happy for you to do this for him. Oh, it would be amazing. Oh, by the way, he kind of actually deserves it because he's, he's a good guy. He's done a lot of great things. Come on, Jesus. Yay. And yet Jesus, in his mercy, goes with them. But he wasn't far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, a soldier's under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turned to the crowd and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. And the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. See, if we're going to move into maturity, we've got to leave behind immature thinking. And part of that thinking is that somehow we've God owes us, that we've earned something, that our happiness is his ultimate concern. But we see something here by a man who's not even a Jew, a Gentile, a man who shouldn't know anything about this God, this Jesus. And here he is sending a servant saying, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. I know what it's like as a soldier to just say the word. And I'm asking you, Jesus, because I believe in you and because I know my worth. It is nothing. Just say the word and it will be done. See, there is a humility, church, that we have to own. Rather than running from different sins and finding the list and beginning to work on every single one, what if you humbled yourself before a glorious and great and powerful God and said, I'm not worthy of you. I'm inviting more of you into my life. I'm asking you, I know, I know I am a sinner. And God, I thank you today that you died for me. That you've made me righteous. I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'm never going to deserve it. But Jesus, you, you did it. And you are worthy and you are holy. And Jesus, would you see fit to do that in my life. Not because of my actions or my worth, but because you are merciful and good and gracious. See, the Bible says that he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He makes a way for the humble. He exalts the humble. If we're going to grow in maturity this year, what if you started right here by falling out of believing those lies and falling into being humble with Jesus?